0: Hey, everybody. Absolutely stunning news over here this week. We have a video version of this week's episode available on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash night. Go over there, sign up at any tier, and you'll have access to it. Once again, that's patreon.com slash night. Now, enjoy the show.
1: Olivia, you've got a lot of cool stuff behind you. Tell us about some of your favorite things that are behind you. It's all pixelated for me. <laughs> oh, okay.
2: <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, this is my filming wall, but I kind of just put all the things that I like in one place so I can look at it sometimes and it'll give me a little serotonin. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like a lot of my favorite books behind me. And then there's a, a map of like the 7,000 plus islands of the Philippines right here because my dad oh, cool. is from Cebu. And then some, like, butterflies I've pinned and some art that I've kind of made. And then some of them are empty because I just wanted to fill up that space. Like, I wanted to know the layout, but I didn't know what I wanted to put in the frame yet. So, right now, this is just a piece of cardboard. Like, there's not really anything in there. Mm -hmm. Um, That's valid. This one's specifically, I don't know if if I can, like, show it to you, but if you can, like, see it. It's just a cicada.
0: Oh yeah, Ooh. those rules.
2: And a friend of mine who lives in Texas, he like works with cicadas in his spiritual practice, and he wrote like a little poem and stuff. So that's his poem, and like a cicada that he collected for me.
0: Can you read the poem? I couldn't really see it. If you if you want
2: to, yeah, it's just a piece of the poem. It says, "Song of the Dying Cicada, Sing to me your Southern whales. Song of this. Oh, oh God, I can't even read my own handwriting. It's <laughs> terrible. Um, Song of Cicada, Sing to Me, Your Yearly. Yeah, it's it's like such bad handwriting. I can't even read it. But it's it's a good poem, I swear to God. It's just I can't (laughs) write legibly.
0: I love Cicada's, their life cycle is fascinating, right? That they can, Mm -hmm. these 17-year cycles, like nothing else in nature. You probably know this, but they hypothesize that the reason that evolved that way is because nothing else is on that, cycle so it's a good way of avoiding predators right because you won't have yeah. any predator that comes out exactly every 17 years
2: right or whatever it is yeah yeah it's just funny that they're like it's the 17 years and then they emerge and just scream to have sex and then die oh my
0: god yes like that's
2: that's the life that's their whole life yeah. and it's just like all right well found your purpose i guess
0: <laughs> and have you seen the the cicada killer wasps too Yes. Those things are fucking scary.
2: Yeah, they are a whole other machine. Those
1: are, things are terrifying.
0: <laughs> yeah. Have you seen one of these, Layden?
1: I'm Googling right now. Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah. Neat.
0: They would show up in New Jersey in CKD years, and they look like they're going to destroy you, but they don't care about humans at all. They're, I mean, mm-hmm. unless you like step on one, you're totally chill. But they're gigantic with these huge stingers that look like they're just going to come after you. Yeah. Wow.
2: So I live here in Colorado and there's a invertebrate zoo that is called the Butterfly Pavilion. I've been. Have you been there?
0: Yeah. It's the one just outside of Denver.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I grew up like basically there and I used to volunteer as like a child and now I I still continue to volunteer there. So like entomology is a nerdy spot of my. Oh, I love it. Like just knowledge that I have no business having (laughs) like Uh it doesn't help me like whatsoever in either of my careers (laughs) and like bugs and you're like, okay, that's cool. I don't know why you need to know that at a pole dancing class, but I can tell you all about, (laughs) all about the
1: bugs. (laughs) Educational insect pole dancing. I'm into it. Yeah. I was going to
0: say, I went there a couple of years back with a friend of mine and his, I don't know, three or four year old. And this kid could not fucking handle it. It was like too much. And we walked in and I was like, oh, sick, bugs. Yes, awesome. And this kid immediately went into panic mode. And I felt oh, really yeah. bad for her because she was just couldn't deal with it.
2: Was she afraid of the bugs or was it just like just too much stimulation where she's just like, there's just too much happening?
0: I think more the latter. You know, there were like school groups there and yeah. and people, you know, a bunch of kids are like running around and then there's, you know, it's like these three foot long walking sticks and stuff like that. So there's just a lot happening Yeah, and she couldn't quite deal with it. Yeah,
2: I get that. I I work in the horticulture team, so I don't have to be like inside the building for the most part. I'm like out in the gardens or like just in the plants. Like I don't really have to interact with the people. So that's the reason why I was like, I'll do the horticulture team because I don't think I can handle being inside with like the school groups and the
1: constant people
2: and the screaming and like, yeah, it's, it's a lot.
1: So what do you do as part of the horticulture group?
2: It's really just like gardening for the most part, but it's fun because I get this like really stark contrast of being able to garden and learn about the native species in Colorado and have like our native garden. So we focus a lot about planting pollinator plants and understanding like invasive species. And also it's helped me a lot as like a personal gardener. But then I also get to work in the conservatory. So Brian, when you were there, I'm sure you went into the butterfly room where it's like this yes. big, you know, like bubble of basically like a, a created rainforest where you get yep. to see all these butterflies fly around and you get species in there that you really only see in tropical like rainforests, which is really cool. So I get to interact with a lot of different plants that I wouldn't really get to interact with unless I'm at like the botanical gardens or somewhere really specific. Mm-hmm. So. It's really cool to kind of like learn about these species that I probably would like never get to interact with otherwise.
0: Yeah. There's something awesome too about having a tropical climate in the middle of a Colorado winter. Where yeah. it's like there's it a cognitive dissonance that comes from that.
1: Right.
2: Yeah. When we do volunteering in this winter, it's always so nice to like bundle up and then like get into the conservatory where it's like humid and hot, you know, and you're like, yeah. oh it's so and then you're looking up and you just see like the snow <laughs> and you're like yeah, in a yeah, yeah, tropical yeah. climate. It's really, really cool having those stark contrasts, but it's a lot of fun.
1: Do you have a favorite insect? Oh.
2: Oh, I think the whip scorpion are, is really cool. What's that? Oh, you got to Google it. They're really cool looking. Whoa. That's
0: when you get a scorpion and a whisk.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Big uh, Starship Troopers vibes with these. Yeah.
2: Yeah. They look like they're out of like a sci-fi movie.
1: Mm-hmm. Very into it.
2: I think actually there's a... um called the hummingbird moth or a hawk moth and they're they're native to colorado they're just moths but they look like hummingbirds and they're <laughs> really cute oh
0: yeah these those that's are adorable
2: yeah. what if you've never seen the poodle moth or the rosy maple moth both of those you need to look up those things are the cutest things you'll ever see in your life oh jesus okay, christ yes. the venezuelan poodle the moth maple.
0: I have never seen this.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So actually, the funny thing about this poodle moth is when photos came out, people thought that it was Photoshopped. They thought it was a fake animal.
0: It looks like a Pokemon. Yeah, Yeah,
2: exactly. Because of how cute it is. And it was officially, I think, officially discovered in 2009 or something. So like, it's been proven that this animal exists. It's not just Photoshopped.
1: These are adorable. I know. (laughs) You truly delivered on the question of now I just have like five taps full of cool looking (laughs) insects open.
0: But wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. So the Wikipedia for Venezuelan poodle moth says it is, quote, an as yet unidentified species of moth. Mm -hmm.
2: What I'm assuming that means is that like the taxonomists don't really understand where to put that in the world of category, but- I mean, insects in general, there's just so many things that we don't know. So it's kind of crazy to like try to even fathom how you're going to categorize all of them when you don't even know where to put the ones that we know about right now.
1: Yeah,
0: I see. And some, it looks like some of these pictures going around were models of the thing and not the thing itself.
2: Yeah, that's why a lot of people thought it was fake. They thought it was photoshopped. Oh, wow. I don't know. Bugs are weird. I've always been a bug person. <laughs>
0: yep. Same. I'm trying to raise my daughter to be a bug person. And it's oh, working. Oh, good.
2: Bug people are the best. <laughs> they really,
0: really are. Every time it rains, which doesn't happen too much in LA, although the last few months have been an exception, we go on worm hunts. So she gets to stomp around in puddles and look for big worms because that's when Oh, my God.
2: It's awesome. Yes, that sounds like the best time in the whole world. <laughs>
0: It is, especially when you're eight. And you know, she, she doesn't care. I don't care. Either just picking up worms, yeah. with their hands and being like, Daddy, look at the worm. You know, yeah. it's, it's awesome.
2: Fearless. You're raising fearless. her to be fearless.
0: <laughs> Did I tell you about the water slide thing, Layton? Do you remember this? No. At summer camp last summer. It rained one day. And she comes home that day and she goes, Daddy, I took a worm down the slide. <laughs> and I was like, What? She goes, Yeah, I picked up a worm. And I thought I might want to go for a ride down the slide. So I, I went down the water slide with it. Said, oh. Did it have fun? And she goes, I think so.
2: I think so. <laughs> <laughs> There's this TikTok that everybody's been sending me, and I never get tired of seeing it. I don't know what account it is, but there are these mini lips. They're like on a spring, and mm-hmm. you kind of like hold it in your mouth, and then it extends to a fake pair of smaller lips. Mm-hmm. and the goal is to kiss insects with it, and there's. <laughs> hold,
0: hold on. Hold on.
2: <laughs> hold on let me googling see if this can immediately. Find it. Kissing
0: insects, yeah. small lips. This is why am I googling this? Yeah. <laughs> I got him. I found it.
2: Oh, good. The first time I saw it, I was in tears. I thought it was so funny.
0: Is this what you're talking about?
2: Yeah, this is it. It's specifically <laughs> for kissing bugs. Too. It's called bug kiss. Yes.
0: Wow. Is this the exact video you were
2: talking about? This is the exact video I was talking about, yes. Amazing. Man, if I had this kit as a child, I feel like I would be even weirder than I am now. And I think that's really saying something. (laughs)
0: Like, I'm explicitly not going to tell my daughter about this. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. My mom bought me like a, a bug vacuum, which I, yes. like looking back, like, I guess that's kind of cruel to like be like vacuuming up these bugs and being like, you're mine now, you're coming with me. <laughs> um, yep. But man, that thing was my favorite.
0: We have a thing. It's a version of that. It's like a magnifying glass on top of the sliding bottom. And so you can put it on top of the bug and then slowly oh, slide cool. the bottom close. You're not like, you know, sucking yeah. the thing up.
2: I've seen those, but I, I didn't think I ever had one of those.
0: We use it all the time. Mostly house spiders, but occasionally... Other things wander through.
1: Didn't you guys have some stuff hatching semi-recently?
0: Oh, yeah. You know, in December, we found a monarch caterpillar wandering around. Uh,
2: really? That's lucky. Yeah.
0: Which, like, especially in December, which is not the season. And so we, you know, there, you don't need to catch it. You just pick the thing up and let it crawl on you because they're gorgeous. And so we were letting it crawl on us. And my wife was like, I think it's, it's too cold outside. Let's just bring it in. So we put it in a little terrarium kind of thing with a couple sticks and we're like let's just see what happens and sure enough a couple of days later we had a chrysalis
2: oh cool
0: like happened overnight too the thing was just wandering around and then we woke up one morning and bam nice green chrysalis and it stayed like that for a few weeks including we went on a brief family trip and we're, like, staying in a hotel, we had to, like, sneak in this fucking terrarium with the (laughs) chrysalis hanging on a branch because we were going to be away from home and no one was house-sitting and we didn't want the thing to hatch and then have a dead (laughs) butterfly, you know? So we bring this into the hotel. I, like, put it in a bag. I'm, like, carefully walking it through the (laughs) lobby, trying not to kill it. Anyway, it goes to the hotel, does not hatch in the hotel. We're there for, like, three or four days. We bring it back. The chrysalis starts to turn gray, and we're like, well... We tried, but it was like, you know, let's just give it a couple more days. And then, bam, monarch. That's so so cool. it actually hatched. didn't seem super happy because it, you know, we let it dry off for a while and it never, and then put it outside. And I don't know what happened to it, but we did watch the full life cycle of Caterpillar Chrysalis Butterfly, which was pretty great.
2: I think it's so amazing to watch. I never get tired of it. And it's like, I totally understand why people are so fascinated to like watch. You know, the the pavilion has like a 24 hour live feed of all the chrysalids that they have up. Oh, really? um, Yeah. They usually like to emerge like earlier mornings. So maybe like seven or 8 um, a.m. mountain time. And it's cool too, because they have all those like tropical, all the different kinds of beautiful butterflies.
0: Yeah, I love it. Broadly speaking, I would like to hear the two of you discuss witch things. So I'm just going to put that out there as a <laughs> as an ill-formed thought and see where, okay. where this goes. I don't know anything about this topic.
1: Unfortunately, I'm not Susie. So I am not like in the practicing witch zone. And I'm certainly not as encyclopedically knowledgeable as Susie is with this stuff. Right. <laughs> You're
2: more than welcome to ask me anything and I will do my best to provide information and or nuance.
0: Well, okay. So I I guess we can start off and Layden tell me to shut up at any point. If if what I'm saying (laughs) is not interesting, as I know you often do. Um, (laughs) How do you define yourself as a witch? Like what is a witch to you? I know people have different definitions of what that means. Susie, when she was on the show for a little bit, talked about it, but I imagine it's a little idiosyncratic and different people Means different things to different folks. So I'm curious what your conception of that is.
2: Yeah, like you said, it's really broad. It just depends on who you ask. But my personal thing is just being in tune or like trying to understand energies and like the way that the universe works. So I, I think that like science and magic kind of have like a lot of parallel similarities and people just want to understand things and you're constantly experimenting with those things, but I think what it boils down to it is just like you interacting with the universe, like just you and the universe interacting back and forth. And in order to get some sort of like reaction or change is what I would probably boil it down to.
0: You would say a witch is someone who does that, interacts with the energies
1: of the universe. Yeah. And when did you start practicing?
2: I guess somewhat unknowingly when I was like 13 or 12 or something like that, kind of like, you know, when you're a kid and you have these like little mini superstitions, you're like, well, if I wear these socks, like for some reason, I'm more lucky that the day that I wear these socks, like just things like that. And it just started from there and just snowballed because then I'd be like, okay, well, if I did this specific thing at this specific time during, like, you know, like I started getting like way too complex and maybe that's like my Obsessive personality. I don't know, but <laughs> I don't know. It's worked for me so far. So just kind of snowballed, and then I think I was in like some hardcore denial for a little bit of like God's totally chill with this, right? Like this is totally a God <laughs> thing. And then finally, I was like, no, I should stop lying to myself. So I just kind of like facaded for a while until I felt good enough to kind of drop the. I'm not actually Christian veil Uh. of like surprise. Um, (laughs) So like I've been doing it for quite some time and I think I've only been like open about it the past, maybe, maybe five years.
0: Do you have family members that would have been upset to hear that?
2: Yeah. Like I mentioned in the beginning, my dad is from Cebu. And so Filipinos are heavily Catholic or like heavily Christian at least And then my mom's side is just heavily evangelical. Mm -hmm. And so people didn't say anything in my face, but it was just more of like, they just kind of stopped talking to me if -hmm. they didn't like it, which I'd prefer over, you know, having like full out conflict or something, I guess. But there's definitely family members that either just pretend that it doesn't happen and we just don't Mm -hmm. talk about it around them or it's just a straight up, like we just don't talk anymore because it's not like something that meshes with them.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm really curious about the coming from a Christian family to witch pipeline because I feel like that is so common, <laughs> so common, especially for like queer witchy people. It's it's yeah. always like coming out of a very oppressive, you know, dogmatic environment into a thing that yes. like you know is positive and works for you.
2: Yeah, you you hear about that pipeline all the time, and right. I, I mean, I definitely think there's a reason for that for sure. But it's cool, too, because I know a lot of practitioners who do still identify as Christian or there's a lot of like Catholic practitioners as well who they identify as both witches, but also like their practice is heavily based within like the Christianity practice as well or Catholic practices and hierarchies of saints and God and Jesus and whatnot. So that's really interesting. But I have a lot of mixed feelings because I feel like sad for a lot of people. Cause I, I think you do kind of like have to kill off that side of yourself because there's so much that you're taught and like how to see the world and how to see yourself that you kind of have to just like get rid of in order to move into something that's a little more free form and like accepting that of like who you are now. And I do think that it's like a little bit of a rebellious act. Like I think that being a witch is definitely like one of those rebellious things that has always been like a sign of rebellion, you know, like it's always the woman's acting out or whatever. Right, right. Or nowadays, like you said, there's a lot of people, it's kind of like that queer base that you're like, wait a minute, I'm trying to find myself and who I am and this piece isn't working for me. And it's like a huge piece that's holding me back. I think it's definitely like a freedom thing, which I really love seeing people kind of like step into. For
1: sure. Yeah, and I think it's something that, engages you really creatively in terms of people I know who have their own practices, like the amount of like generative work that is made and like energy that is put out. And as (laughs) an arts and crafty person, so much of it is like arts and craftsy, which Mm -hmm. I appreciate.
2: Yeah, I'm a huge arts and crafty person. I think that's another reason why I was like, this is my shit right here. <laughs> I grew up like really thrifty because both my parents, so my dad, like I said, Cebu. so I think he's the youngest of nine. You know, they're not like ridiculously wealthy over there. And then when they moved over to, to the estates, they weren't also like super wealthy here. And then my mom, her parents were truck drivers. So like neither of my parents grew up like, wealthy at all. And Mm -hmm. so when they were raising me, I think that just kind of like trickled down and um, they just taught me how to be really resourceful. I think almost everything you see behind me, if not everything is thrifted. Like there's nothing Mm -hmm. here really that's brand new other than maybe the books, even like the whole like bookshelf itself my neighbor was like giving away and I was like, it's in perfect condition. You know, like I'm one of those people that I'm like, I could do something with that. Like I'm low-key a hoarder, but I think the fancy word for it is a maximalist. So let's go with that (laughs) instead of like, (laughs) you know, like instead of, but yeah, so they taught me that. And I think that just like translates to doing like folk practices really easily because a huge base is just like using what you have and being really creative with the items that you have and not really feeling the need to like go out of your way to go buy something or have to spend all this money or time to get something so specific when you can just use what you have, which I love. I love that part about the craft. Yeah,
0: Yeah. I was going to say the thrifting thing is my mom and dad didn't do it so much growing up. And it's not because we had like a ton of money that just didn't do it. But my wife is like a massive thrifter and (laughs) one of the greatest things about being married to her is she'll be like, I found this table and I'll be like, Whoa, uh, cool. Yeah. Great. Now we have an awesome new table. Yeah. The stuff you can find, especially, and this is something I, I, I didn't appreciate until we moved here to LA is stuff survives differently in different climates. Right. So the stuff you can get here is generally well preserved because it's, you know, dry and stuff just kind of survives more easily here than someplace that's really damp and, you know, let's say humid or something like that. So I I didn't appreciate this this whole culture of like California thrifting because shit survives well in Southern California.
2: Yeah, it's also really cool to like, I don't know if you've seen those people that like thrift and then flip furniture pieces or things like that. Like people who can do that, you have opened yourself like a whole... World of possibilities because I've done this plenty of times too. I was actually just thrifting with a friend and I had like this little, it's like a little cabinet thing. It like opens two little shitty drawers on the bottom. It was like landlord painted white, like it was just like slapped on, like it was just like nasty. Mm-hmm. And uh. one of the doors were broken. And I like picked it up and I showed it to them and I was, they're looking at me and I'm like, hear me out. And they're <laughs> like, I don't believe you. But I'm like, okay. I fix the drawer and then paint it like it's going to look so cute and it's like I think that piece like when you start thrifting so much you start to kind of like look at things with like a little more possibility of like okay it might be ugly right now but like it has potential like you can see it transform into something else with just like some paint and like maybe like an extra screw to fix the door or whatever Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden people like where did you get that and you're like thrift store you know you're just like I got (laughs) it for six dollars and some extra spray paint I had laying in the garage,
1: you know? Right. Yeah, my my mom used to flip furniture like that. She was like a co-owner of an antique shop that did a lot of the like shabby chic stuff. Oh, cool. So most of my childhood was watching her paint pieces white and then sand them. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like she did cool stuff, but there are a lot of times where it's like, oh no, that was like a gorgeous piece that was in fine condition and you just oh, painted no. it over
2: it. <laughs> Oh, that would hurt me.
1: Yeah, she was good at it though.
2: Did you ever get into that where like you started doing that? Because you said you were like super crafty.
1: I like have a piece that she did when I was younger in my apartment. It's like a little mid-century side table. But I was definitely involved because I got dragged to work and (laughs) to various thrift stores and flea markets, etc. So hated as a kid because I had to do it all the time. But as an adult, you know, I have an appreciation And I miss yard sailing. I have not done it a whole lot since I've moved here, mainly just because I don't want to leave the house on the weekend. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Even though I wake up super early, like that I can handle now, but I just, parking.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Especially in LA, (laughs) parking, driving, leaving the house, seeing people. Like there's like all these cons, you know? And I think especially like yard sailing or estate sales, which are some of my like favorite things, but also. They're all on weekends. And I'm like, yes. can we just have like some for the weekdays for like the introverts? Because I'd love that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm so nosy too. I am desperately nosy of I want to be able to look into other people's homes and like look at their stuff. And I love seeing yeah. the constellation of books that somebody gets rid of where it's like, yes. what season of life are you coming out of right now? And, yeah. Like,
2: the book section of goodwill or any thrift store like just any thrift store some of the shit that i find, i'm like what who like first of all the fact that somebody's giving this away instead of just like showing it off as a novelty and then second somebody sat down and wrote a whole book that is this and like yeah. the things that i've seen i'm just like what and then published it and sold it like i i'm flabbergasted with some of the things that they're doing. I'm going to show you
0: one thing. Leighton. I think I showed this to you recently. Give me one second. I found this okay. in a thrift store. One second. All right. I feel like I brought this on the show recently. I found this VHS tape in a thrift store in Big Bear, in California. Young people ask, how can I make real friends?
1: Wow. Uh,
2: Did you ever watch it?
0: No, I, I don't have a VHS. So it is... It's a bunch of teens just hanging out. I don't know if you can see this because it's probably too pixelated. A couple of guys playing basketball down here. Okay. Two people talking up here and I'm going to read the back. So the question is, who purchased this originally? (laughs) And then what happened in their life so that they gave it away? Did they solve the problem? Successfully make friends. Or did they give up on solving the problem? Right. Making friends is not always easy when you're young. Finding friends may be particularly challenging if you are a Christian and want friends who live by Bible standards.
2: <laughs> oh! <laughs> this okay. video
0: has therefore been produced to help you learn how to make friends the right kind of friends. Oh. In the style oh and spirit God. of the long-running <laughs> Awake magazine series, Young People Ask, this program features candid interviews with youths, youths from the United States, <laughs> Italy, France, and Spain. It offers practical Bible-based answers to such questions as, what are some roadblocks to friendship? What are some of the dangers of bad associations? What is the most important friendship one could have? A highlight of this program is a true-to-life contemporary drama, a story that echoes the Bible account of Dinah, Genesis chapter
2: 34. There is so much happening. There's a lot out here.
0: We are sure that you will be deeply moved by this drama as well as by the rest of this instructive program. It's in Hi-Fi Stereo. Can you guess what year this is from?
1: 1996.
2: Mm. I I was going to guess like 98. I'm feeling 98.
0: 99.
1: Very good. Very well done, both of you. 1999. (laughs) That's right. So that was most assuredly the kind of tape that you buy to show your youth group. And you wheel out the little TV. And you Mm -hmm. got to watch it. I was not expecting the Jesus sag, but I feel like maybe at this point I should have.
2: That took me by surprise,
1: actually. <laughs> yeah,
0: me too, actually. I feel like it should have been obvious to me, but...
1: Can I borrow your tape so I can watch it in my VCR?
0: <laughs> no, because I'm afraid then you'll make friends and won't be able to do the podcast. <laughs> Wait a minute, mm, there's a true. note inside. <gasps> oh my God. Oh. What <gasps> does it say? I have never taken this out. <laughs> What a discovery.
2: Oh, my God. This is like the <laughs> oh exact my kind of things that my grandpa would send me, my evangelical grandpa. He would send every year for my birthday, he'd send me Christian books of like how Look to be a good this. wife and like things like that. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, I think any pile of Christian books for girls that you see at a goodwill, I might have contributed to those. Sorry, you know, my, my family. God bless them. Should I
0: read this? Look at this.
2: Yeah, read it. Look, they sold yeah, read it read with it. that in there. Read there's it. There's a lot
0: going on here. Okay, so I th- this seems to be someone who took notes on watching this video.
2: <gasps> yes, and it's oh, it's a series,
0: yeah. it, but it 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 looks copied, maybe. So I'll hold this up so people. You there's no way you're gonna be able to see it. It's like a dense page of script. Wow. Whoa.
2: Whoa. Okay. Wait. Is it like handwritten?
0: It looks like a Xerox of a handwritten thing in a kind of. Stereotypically feminine script-ish. Okay. Uh, So I would guess that a a teen girl wrote this.
2: Another random, like, why do I have this information? I study handwriting analysis. Oh, my God. Out of curiosity. Here's,
0: You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a picture of this, and I will email it to you.
1: Okay. Yeah, that would be awesome. CC or text that to me, please. Hold on. Yes, I will.
0: This is the most exciting thing that's ever happened on this show. (laughs)
2: Okay. Well, for people curious, this is my favorite book on handwriting analysis. And this is where it started and where it snowballed. It's called Sex, Lies and Handwriting Ooh. by Michelle Dressbold. It's really good. It's an easy read and it's so good. And now like, I can't turn it off. Like anytime somebody's writing something or like doing a signature, I'm always like looking over being like, are you a psychopath? Okay, good. Thank God. <laughs> You know, or I'll like looked out, like look at it and be like, oh, okay, so you definitely like feel like you have to prove something to people, but I'm not <laughs> gonna say that a lot. You know, like I'm like,
1: <laughs> yeah. The closest I ever got to that was just really going through the John Bonet Ramsey ransom letter handwriting. But
0: okay, everyone. So speaking of this, I have sent you this note.
1: It's very nice handwriting.
0: Very nice handwriting. You see what I mean? This looks like a, a teenage girl, I would guess, right? mm Hmm. I hope it's not an adult watching this video to make friends, but it's possible.
2: Would you like to read it first or do you want me to try to like see what I analyze from it?
0: I don't want to read this whole thing because I feel like that would be incredibly boring. It's mostly just looking this over. It seems like they're just, you know, watching the video is a lot of talking about God here. Think of God as a friend slash person. Talk to him in prayer.
1: Okay, hold on though, hold on. Uh, Look at point
0: five. Look at the first sentence of point five. Yeah,
1: I was about to jump right to all of point five.
0: Yes, so do you want to read point five, Layden?
1: Is the J midway through, is that supposed to be Jesus? I think that says jaw. All right. That's what I read, jaw, yeah. Point five, anyone who doesn't love jaw slash doesn't follow his will can get involved with drugs, alcohol, leads to spiritual ruin, don't want to go to meetings, lead a double life. Dinah circled. She became involved in bad association. She committed fornication. Asterisk. asterisk. She hurt herself, family, and Jehovah. Oh, it was Jehovah at the beginning.
0: Oh, job. Ja, period. I guess that's a, okay. They're using that as an abbreviation. Okay. It could happen to anyone if we let it.
2: I'm trying to read this asterisk, like this little note on the side.
0: Is that what it is? It says parent attitude Didn't tell her she made a stupid mistake and blame only her. They took responsibility for this, for their Their, own actions. Their own
2: action. Okay.
0: I've had this for years now, and I have never so much as taken it out of its box. So what a find. Yeah. This rules. This is a... Almost, but not quite as cool as my wife a couple years ago bought me like a a sheet music book of like popular songs from the 70s. And inside was a mimeographed like eight page document of feminist anthems from the 70s, like typewritten with handwritten notes, Uh, like parodies of popular songs and other probably at some ERA rally or something like that in the 70s. It was fucking cool. So we have this, like, collection of feminist songs and poems that was in this sheet music.
2: That's what a cool find. See, that's kind of, like, why I like going through the book section of, like, used stores and stuff. Because some of them are annotated. And, like, I annotate my books like an obsessive, crazy person. Like, all of my books are annotated. And um, it goes anywhere from, like, really deep thoughts to just, like, I'll circle this and be, like, LOL. Like, you know, yeah, (laughs) like, just say anything.
0: So I want to hear... From the handwriting perspective, what you're oh, yeah. seeing in this
2: thing? So it's a little different than I, well, very different than what I was expecting. I was kind of expecting like different traits, I guess. But what I'm seeing, so if you look at it, it's slanted slightly like, to the right. Uh huh. So that means that this person is probably like pretty good with people. Like, and also like the way it's written, everything has like a really good flow. Like, it's like not cursive but it's not print it's kind of both
0: it's kind of in between yeah
2: yeah i would say that's like really good conversational type of person and since it's slanting right like they like to talk to people and like to talk to strangers and they're personable the t bars are actually it's weird because i see some of them like in the middle but a lot of them are really high on like the lowercase t's which like i was telling Leighton that it's an indicator of somebody who sets the bar for themselves like really high like your t bar is where you set your bar for yourself so mm-hmm. the higher it is the higher you expect all of your um goals to be met and like where you place yourself
1: i'm also the handwriting that's down the side is it the yeah. same person
2: i don't know because it's a, it's written with a different pen
0: mhm
1: is what it looks like to me
0: that looks like different writing to me
1: yeah yeah well and you see The asterisk in the circle of Dinah, I wonder if Mm -hmm. this was like written by somebody in the group who had to watch the video and if that was like a teacher or leader correcting. Oh, yeah. yeah. This like print cursive fusion is 100% how mine is too. I mean, it's mine definitely looks different from this. But yeah, I feel like I don't run into people who do the same print cursive fusion. And maybe it's just because... They don't teach cursive in schools as much anymore, but they did when I was a child. Same.
2: Yeah, I actually have like print cursive mesh as well. And it depends too. Like some days I'll write purely in cursive. Some days I'll try really careful to like write in print so I can actually read it. But most of the time it like meshes. But I I think from what I've read and from what I've learned, it's like you're a good conversationalist. Like you're able to hold a conversation. Um, It just like shows flow, basically.
1: Mm. So,
2: I mean... That's good, being that you are a host of a podcast. Yeah, I would hope so. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Wow, what a crazy find.
1: Yeah, I guess we'll have to post a picture of this on Instagram or something. I don't know. I love that. I desperately want to see what's on this video now.
2: I know. I kind of want to watch it.
1: Those like preachy, wheel-in VHS tapes are just in a league of their own in terms of like bizarre, surreal, liminal space. Yes.
2: Yeah, they definitely have a very specific vibe to it. And I don't feel like anything modern has that. It's like a very specific kind of cringe and uncomfortability yeah. that it, like they bring. And you're like, oh, not this again.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think maybe the fictional media that does the best job at getting that vibe is... Have you seen Donnie Darko? Yeah. Classic. But Patrick Swayze's whole character and like the tapes that they have to watch in school. That is like the most accurate yes. version of that I've seen in fiction.
2: Yeah. Man, I haven't seen that movie in forever. I want to rewatch that now. It's really good.
1: We rescheduled this record because I was getting psychiatric treatment. And while I was in there, I was like, we're watching Donnie Darko, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> uh nobody cared. Everyone was like, what is this? What? But it holds up. It's still great. I love it. Okay.
2: Yeah. I think the last time I saw it when I was like 15, I have to say.
1: Yeah. It's a good movie for when you're a teenager. And then I put off rewatching it into adulthood because I was like, there's no way this holds up. It does. That's good. This is like not the same genre at all,
2: but like one of my favorite movies is Devil Wears Prada. And I started reading the book recently because I've never read the book before because I was curious. Mm-hmm. And you know how people are always like, oh, the book's better, or whatever. I don't like the book.
1: I've heard that exact thing about that.
2: I am struggling to finish it.
1: What's the vibe?
2: Okay. So like most people have seen the movie and like, at least in my perspective, I personally don't care for any of the characters except for Miranda Priestley and Nigel. The other characters I could really care less about. So valid. Yeah. But when reading the book, so Miranda Priestley, like when you think of her, she is somebody who the reason she's so intense and so mean is because she knows exactly what she wants, exactly how she wants it. And she doesn't have the time to like have her time wasted, right? Like she needs to get her things done when she needs to get them done. Like otherwise, like nothing else matters. And right. in the book, There's a specific instance, like there's a bunch of instances, but there's a specific instance where the main character, Andy, she's talking about how sometimes Miranda will call her at like 5am needing her at the office because she like Miranda refuses to carry a key card in order to get into the elevator and into the building. So instead she calls her assistant and like waits on her because she has a key card because she refuses to carry a key card because they're too ugly. Whereas like... (laughs) the character in the movie and that character are different. Like Miranda in the movie would not be doing that because she's on a time crunch. Like she knows what's important and like wants to get these things done. She's not going to like play kind of like, Oh, I can't do anything by myself because I have the yeah. And like the best way I can describe it is Miranda in the book is a princess and the Miranda in the movie is a queen. Like that's kind of like the way wow. I would describe it, I suppose. And The rest of the characters, like, they just suck, like, in the book. Like, they all are kind of, like, self-destructive. And, like, I don't feel like anybody actually cares about each other. And, like, there's not really, like, good communication. And then it's also, like, dated, right? Like, it came out in the 90s. So there's, I think the character Nigel, they just made, like, so over-the-top gay. Like, it was just, like, that cliche like everything that I was like, okay, I get it. And I, I get that you're trying to like make him so gay.
1: Like <laughs> like have you interacted with a gay person? Right. Like things prior like that. To writing this. Um,
2: <laughs> yeah. And like there's just been like just like little tiny things that I'm like, that wouldn't really hold up today. You know, like just like little things yeah. that I'm kind of like, oh so yeah, it's it's weird to read the book. And definitely Miranda is like a very different person. And like I think the way that she was portrayed in the movie. Like, that's why everybody loves her. Whereas if she was portrayed the way she was portrayed in the book, it wouldn't have been a good movie.
1: (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, I was thinking about recently all of these movies that are based on books that the movies have eclipsed the fact that they were ever books in the first place. Yeah. Like, Godfather was a book that apparently sucks. Forrest Gump, book that also sucks. Oh, I didn't
2: didn't know Forrest Gump was like, see, like, what?
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I guess another one is American Psycho, which is an infuriating book that is a great movie. Um, but
2: have you read the book as well?
1: I have, yeah. I get what's going on stylistically. It's just exhausting the way that yeah. it is written is exhausting. But the movie is like one of my comfort movies.
2: <laughs> right. It's funny because there's the two books by the one that wrote Fight Club,
1: Chuck Palahniuk.
2: Chuck Palahniuk, yeah. So there's two books that I believe were turning into movie, maybe more, but obviously Fight Club, duh. And then yeah. there's another one called Choke. Yeah. And I didn't hate it. The story Choke is, a, I personally like the story, but the movie, I was just like, so you, they made Fight Club into like exactly kind of how you wanted it. And then Choke, yeah. like it just seemed like it was half-assed in my opinion. I was kind of oh, like, I don't know, it was okay.
1: Yeah. I really liked Choke, the book. I didn't realize there was a movie. And I know I've read some of his other stuff. Like I like Fight Club. Okay. Haunted, which is the collection that has yeah. guts in it, which is his most famous thing other than Fight Club, probably. Mm-hmm. It's it's okay. Yeah. And then the uh, the porn star one. It's just like he continually does these things where it's like, here's a bunch of different characters and each chapter is from their point of view. But the point of view for all of them is like horny old man. Even if (laughs) it's like a bunch of different types of characters. And it's like, they all sound like horny old man. So why do you keep doing this roster of characters when they all sound the same?
2: I know I agree with you, actually. That's really funny. Like now that you say that, I'm like, that makes so much sense. Because like it all has that same voice from all different people. Yeah. I totally get that. But those are like the only fictions I really like, I, I like nonfiction
1: for the most part. Yeah. You're not a big fiction person, right?
2: I, I tried, you know and I'm trying? <laughs> Cause I just want something that's not like I have to sit and really focus on what I'm reading sometimes, but yeah.
1: I'm so picky with fiction. I don't know. My therapist was <laughs> telling me, I'm always surprised by him because he just has, like, no cultural <laughs> reference points for anything. And I'm just like, do you just sit in a room? <laughs> I have no idea <laughs> how you don't know any of these things, including, like, typical, you know, like, I would assume that slightly older men have all seen Dr. Strangelove. He had never heard of Dr. Strangelove, <laughs> but he was talking about, like, uh, you know, I can never really get into fiction because it's all made up. <laughs> And I think about that all the time. (laughs) I'm just being like, I don't know, can't get into it. It's all made up.
2: I mean, like, I get it. Yeah, I don't know, fiction, like, I'm so picky about it because I just feel like I'm always trying to pick apart, like, why the author wrote this. You know, like, Mm. what was the point of writing? And, like, that's probably, like, a cynical way of looking at it. But (laughs) I'm like, well, what's the point? Like, why was it so important to write this story about fake characters in a fake scenario and, like, put it out there? But also it's like, I like stories. Like I like watching movies and I like reading stories, but I don't know why I'm so picky. I think it's just (laughs) because after reading so much nonfiction, like the shit that happens in the real world is like, this is real.
1: Yeah. So what zones of nonfiction do you like the most? Do you have particular authors that you really like or subgenres within nonfiction?
2: I like just kind of like overviews of like really specific topics like let's see so one of the ones that I'm looking forward to reading soon is the history of delusions and it's basically just Mm. like I think one of the stories is like a king who was convinced that he was made of glass so he was terrified to break basically and like just these different delusions that people have had throughout history and like I don't know if it talks about treatment or if it's just stories of like different delusions that people have had but i think like that's one of my biggest personal fears is like my brain and my senses like betraying me in a sense of like yeah if you've ever seen that terrible horror movie called i think it's called oculus or something like that <laughs> yeah like i liked it but i didn't I, i'm so weird about horror movies but like i liked the idea of they couldn't tell what was real and what wasn't. And that's like terrifying to me. So I'm excited to read that. I just read a book called The Plant Hunter and that's a PhD where she's writing about kind of her story. And it's kind of like a biography where it takes you through like why she wanted to study plant medicine. And it's that kind of back and forth of she's wanting to figure out how to intertwine like folk medicine and Western medicine and how those two kind of like Blend because she's like, obviously, folk medicine works, but we don't know why, and so it's a weird like balance of that, which is really, really good. I was reading a history of surgery, and obviously, that's as dark as that sounds, like things can get really weird,
1: yeah, for sure. Oh,
2: one of my favorites is called Stuffed Animals and Pickled Heads by S- Stephen T. Asma. Asma, I don't know, it's kind of a history of like natural history museums and how they were curated Ooh. and like it was a lot darker than i thought it was going to be like it's a yeah. lot of really fucked up things that scientists did in the name of science and it's a lot of just like old white men having issues with each other but it is a really fascinating book and it makes you think a lot about like kind of how you categorize things in your brain like of the world and it's a really good book i liked it a lot
1: yeah, that sounds neat. All right, folks. Brian had to take his leave from this episode due to unforeseen circumstances, I guess. And so now it's just me and Olivia hanging out. So, haha. Fuck you, Brian. <laughs> there he goes. <laughs> there oh, it's she so weird goes. to stare. <laughs> so freaky to see just this dark room with the foreground yeah, piano. Yeah.
2: As long as like nothing passes past those lights, I'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So, I really wanted to ask you about your pole dancing. Yeah. Because your videos that you have posted are so cool. (laughs) When did you start and what got you into it in the first place?
2: So, I started right before I turned 18. I wanted to try something that was like just not at all something I would ever usually do because I never did any kind of dance. I was not a sporty type of person, like none of those things. But I don't know why pole dancing, I just seemed so out of left field for me or at least for who I was then to take a class and I was like hey mom this is what I want to do and she was like all right so right before I turned 18 she had to sign the waiver for me so she went to the studio signed it for me dropped me off left I took it and it was the hardest thing I've ever tried to do <laughs> um I couldn't lift myself up very well I couldn't touch my toes I was not graceful like everything you need to be an athlete and or a dancer I didn't have, but I got obsessed with it first class. And then I just never stopped. It was like the one thing that was actually enjoyable for me to like keep myself moving. And was also some sort of like a creative outlet as well. You know, like there's something about movement that just like, it's a whole different way of creation. And I, I can't really like explain it. Like I love creating in all these other ways, like artsy painting and crafting and whatnot, but there's something about movement that like, you just can't fulfill that anywhere or like any other way other than just (laughs) moving. And yeah, let's fast forward from 2015 to now. Like,
1: wow. That's a while. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I've I think eight, eight years now. Jeez. I am obsessed with it. I basically live at my studio.
1: Do you teach
2: classes now? Yeah. Yeah. I do teach. Yeah. Who would have thought? (laughs) Yeah. It's, (laughs) Like the best job I could ever ask for. And I specifically teach beginners just because I love teaching beginners. Because I can, I know how scary it is to like go into something as daunting as a pole dancing class. And I also taught in LA for a little bit at a couple of different studios. And especially there, I think it's really daunting because, you know, people expect to show up to a class of just like really fit flexible skinny white girls that are all blonde and gorgeous and like I'm not that you know like yeah I'm skinny and tiny but like I was not like that demographic and so it was really scary to like pop into a class and I totally get that that's like what you expect and some studios are like that just because of like where they're placed but I'm really really grateful that the studio that I work at right now it's also right outside of Denver it's in a Westminster and it's called Rockstar Pole Fitness. And this is like the most diverse studio I've ever worked at. Like there are people of all demographics that come in. There's like 18 year olds that pop in for a class. There are people who are in their fifties and like have six kids and like, are just like, I don't know. I just wanted to try something fun. And There's people from all over and just, it's really cool because I get to meet all these different kinds of people and it's like such a supportive studio. Nothing feels competitive. Like if I'm teaching something and somebody's having kind of issues and then they get it, the whole class is like watching and cheers. Like they all get really excited for you. And it's just like such a good studio. I could go on and on about it. I just fucking love that place.
1: That's so cool. Yeah. What do beginners struggle with the most? Like, is there anything across the board that consistently trips people up?
2: I mean, specific moves are harder than others, I find, with like most people. But I think, like, the biggest thing that I try to get people to do is to take up space. Cause, you know, like when you come in, like a lot of the time, like I'm teaching a spin or something, and you have to make these big shapes with your body. And the shyer you are, the like, you know, smaller, you try to make yourself be. So when they come into class, like I've had students that they're trying to do a spin and they're they're like trying to keep their chest like touching the pole. And I'm like, you can't, you got to like take up space. (laughs) I was like, I want you to try to like, just, you know, kick everybody around you. Like, that's what I want you to visualize. I want you to be taking up as much space as you possibly can. And it's really great to see them like slowly open up like after a couple of months and all of a sudden they like walk different. But I think the confidence- yeah, that's my favorite part. It's like even after just one class like somebody will come in and be really weird and then, you know, like uncomfortable and then uh 60 minutes later they're kind of like, I just did that. And they're like walking a little different. You know they're like, I kind of killed that, you know. And that's a really cool transformation to see in only an hour. But I think the hardest part is definitely the confidence of just like they look at other people and they're like, well, I can't be sexy or like I can't be strong and it's like don't look at anybody else. Like everybody's looking at themselves like nobody's looking yeah. at you like expecting anything you know and once they break through that piece like that's where everything snowballs and everything comes into place and all the pieces just fit together like once they break through that that's where it is and that's the best part
1: i love that i have always been really really interested in trying it and i think it's that confidence thing i need to do some s- sort of exercise thing and i just need to like pick something and stick with it and maybe might be fun
2: Well, that and like pole or aerial in general, like pole, if you silks, lira, all of those things require such a specific body awareness and like strength. Like the way that you're using your body in aerial is not the way you use your body in like literally anything else. So Mm. if you're a rock climber, like I find that rock climbers tend to have a better time with the grips and things like that, but the body awareness, like it's such a different thing. Cause even people are like, Oh, you're a dancer. You'll be fine. If you want to take like a hip hop class with me or ballet. And I'm like, no, these (laughs) things are completely different. You know, like sure. Maybe I'll catch on a little faster, but like the movement is completely different than like any other typical dance. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, if you're ever in Colorado, hit me up. I'll give you a a (laughs) class pro bono. Drop in with me.
1: I know Susie wants to do it too, so maybe I'll hassle yeah. Susie to go try it with me sometime. Yeah, you should. So I realized that we never introduced this show before Brian left, <laughs> which is <laughs> how, how this goes sometimes. So everyone, welcome to Late Night Without Brian Wecht, because Brian had to go. I'm Leighton Gray, and sitting across from me virtually, mystery guest, would you care to introduce yourself?
2: Yes, uh, my name is Olivia Graves, and I'm also known as the Witch of Wonderlust on the internets. So I am a YouTuber. I usually make content on like occult style things. I also do like somewhat lifestyle, but more vlogs. On my Instagram, it's a lot of photography and pole dancing. So kind of just like all over the place, whatever I feel like posting. But yeah, I'm, I'm known mainly for my occult and pole dancing content.
1: Amazing. And we were also both in one of the Witching Hour shows a couple of years ago. Yes. And now that we've introduced the show, and because I also don't remember what we were talking about before all of this cut out, I think it's time to do some segments. (laughs) Our very first segment is called What's Poppin'? It's a pop culture recommendation segment. And I'm not going to belabor this intro any more than I need to because Brian isn't here. And boy, does it feel good to not be belaboring it. Hey,
0: everybody. Uh, as Leighton said, I did have to leave the episode a little early, but uh, I, I didn't want to deprive you of uh, of a little bit of what's pop in history. And I thought this might be a good opportunity to to do it. Now, uh, I, I didn't check with Leighton about putting this in the episode here, but I think I no, nay, I know she would appreciate this because this show is very important to her. And I know that she likes it when when we really delve into the history of the show and talk about where we came from, where we're going, stuff like that so uh for those of you who are new to the podcast, first of all, welcome uh It's great to meet you and uh, th- this bit that's coming up uh the segment I should say is called what's poppin and it's our pop culture recommendation segment now interestingly here's a little a little fun fact for you a little bit of late night history. we did not always have the what's poppin segment uh in the first couple episodes we we didn't call it what's poppin and then in episode three. I think it was. Uh, I haven't really checked any of this. I'm just kind of you know <laughs> going off the top of my head. Uh, we had the wonderful Ethan Nester Crank gameplays as a guest, and we suddenly threw to him to uh, to come up with a name for the pop culture recommendation segment, and he said, "What's poppin?" And thus, a segment was born, and we 've been doing it you know we 're we 're a hundred and sixty something episodes into this podcast now and uh we 've been doing this segment ever since then. We never skip a week uh it 's just it 's a part of our our show it 's a part of our our lives and honestly it 's kind of a part of ourselves. Uh, right now. So I, I just wanted to to tell you a little bit about about where it came from. By the way, we we have told Ethan. Ethan had no memory of of saying this because I mean the guy is just he's a natural. He's he's a, what what I call what we call I should say in the entertainment industry a quote unquote super talent. And he's the kind of guy that when you when you you put him on the spot, he can just come up with genius, just these amazing ideas just off the top of his head. And so that's what he did when when we when we put him on the spot. Like that, and he didn't even remember it. He came up with this thing that defined our show, and has, and has become such a big part of, uh, of 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 our li- lives. And he doesn't even remember doing it. Um, when we had him back on the show. I remember we talked to him about it, and he he was really i, I you know he didn't say this, but I could kind of see it. Uh, he was really touched that uh, that he and something he had created uh, became such such a big part uh, of the show. Now, what I'm thinking about every week, and I want to give you a little bit of a behind the scenes process here, when I'm thinking every week about how I'm going to introduce the what's poppin' segment. You know, I like to I like to mix things up. I like to keep things fresh and I like to get to the point. I like to get to the point quickly. I don't want to waste anyone's time. I just want to get in and do 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 the minimum amount I need to do in order to provide context for both the listener and the guests. I think it's worth saying that a lot of the guests we have on the show have never, have never heard this show. That's fine. That's it, not it's not upsetting to me. Well Maybe, maybe, maybe a little. Uh, uh, it's not upsetting to me really at all. I don't expect the listener, the the guests, I should say, to to have any previous experience with the show. Some of these are people we're meeting for the first time, and uh, when we have these people on, they've they've never they've never experienced the "What's Poppin'" segment before. It, it's new to them, and so what I want to do when I'm thinking every week, I, I go through a few days. I kind of enter a little zone where I'm just I'm just in my own space, and I'm thinking about. how now I'm going to introduce the what's popping segment. And I try to think about where the guest is going to be coming from. I'll check the weather a few days in advance. So I know what the, you know, the ambience is going to be be like, what the vibe in in LA is going to be. So I know where my. Uh, headspace is at where I'm going to be mentally and emotionally. And I'll think about where the guest is coming from, where they live. I'll check the weather, where they live, and then try to craft each individual introduction to the What's Poppin' segment to uh, to complement the guest's personality and uh, emotional state. And I should say, I'm very Very good at reading people's emotions. Like I can tell when Layton is listening to this right now, she's very, very excited about this. This is the kind of in depth analysis we don't often get to do on the show. I did have to step away this week. So I was able to write this down. I was able to script this. I was able to carefully, carefully fact check everything. I went to original sources. I double checked everything. Of course, I hired an independent fact checker, which is something that, as good journalists, we all have to do. You know, it's something you learn in journalism school. I've never been to journalism school, but certainly I have lots of friends who are professional journalists, and they've told me that this is the kind of thing they have to do all the time. So I I, I sat down, I wrote this whole thing. I I had a word count in mind, and I didn't quite uh, hit it first. I went a little bit over, uh, as I tend to do. Those of you listening to the show know I can be uh, from time to time a little bit verbose. But so I, I just blasted past this word count. So, of course, I had to edit it down. By the way, everything I'm reading right now is scripted. I'm just reading the, the thing I prepared. Um, and I had to edit it down and, uh, and come up with this. So I know, because I'm so good at reading people's emotional states, that Layton is hearing this right now, and she's just saying to herself, hell yeah, that's the one. Nice job, Brian. Finally, we get a chance to get into this. Finally, we have a chance to really prepare something in depth for, uh, for the podcast i'm not i'm not improvising this like Layton did for all the deep cut stuff i'm uh i, I, I i'm carefully carefully assembling All this uh, here and now for you, for the listeners, for not just the listeners in the past, but also the listeners in the future, for people who are going to come back and visit this show in, I don't even 10, 15, 100, 1000 years uh, to come back and experience this. And they're going to ask themselves, what was going on? What was what was the cultural moment happening in uh, in March 2023? What was the vibe? What were people feeling? What were people like way back there in the distant past? You know, what, what, what was American society like in the early 20th century, in the mid-2020s? And they're going to be able to listen to this, this carefully scripted piece of uh, of podcasting, of journalism, of entertainment even, and say, that's it. Now I get it. I've listened to, to, to Brian Wecht. Uh, I, I, I've listened to Leighton Gray. I've listened to Leighton Night with Brian Weck. And now I finally understand what was happening in their society. I, a historian in the future, can really, really find a kind of get inside the mind of someone living 10,000 years in the past and understand what their society was like. It's something that we really we don't take advantage of now because we can't because we don't have these records from 10,000 years in the past. But people will in the future. And I'm pretty confident. And I don't think I'm telling tales out of school that, uh, because of the whole time capsule thing we're doing, that this, um, this media is going to survive. We all know very well about the robustness, the extreme robustness of digital media, and uh, I, I think that the people are going to be listening to this uh, in the future. Now, here's the real question: Will they be speaking English? Will they even be able to understand me? You know, you look at at, at language from even the the 1500s English from you know like pre 1500, like Chaucer kind of era stuff, uh, and it's a little hard to read. I think when people hear my voice, they're going to they're gonna get it. I think people will listen to this listen to this specific moment right now and, and understand what we were feeling. By the way, any time travelers who want to come back, it's precisely 1025 a.m. Pacific time on Wednesday, March 22nd, and I'm in Los Angeles. So please, time travelers from the future, I know you're going to invent time travel, please come back and listen and, and, and come see me. I'm going to check the door right now. No, I did listen and no one came. So maybe time travel doesn't exist. I don't know. It's not really my my subject matter. But if anyone in the future is listening to this, please, please, please come back. Uh, and you've invented time travel. Come back and say hi. You know what? Actually, it, it kind of makes me think. I don't think they would want to say they invented time travel. Because uh, people in the future notoriously hate spoilers, right? So they wouldn't want to they wouldn't want to give anything uh, give anything away. So anyway, look, this is just a a short little note to say that uh, what's poppin has a has a long and storied history here uh, at Late Night Incorporated, and I am proud to uh, to to be a part of it, honestly, and to share. Uh, by the way, Leighton, when you're listening to this, I'm proud to, to do this with you as well. I'm glad you're enjoying this part of the, the show. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just proud to be here with you, all the listeners, and to be able to share this little piece of, of late night history with with each and every one of you. So I just want to say to everyone listening right now, maybe you're working out, maybe you're exercising, maybe you're doing something physical, maybe you're doing cardio, maybe you're doing weight training, maybe you're doing isometric exercises. I don't know. Whatever it is you're doing. I just want to say thank you for being here. God bless you and God bless the United States of America.
1: Anyway, the theme song goes right here. <laughs> what's popping? What's popping? Great. That was the theme song for what's popping. And we get to just move on, which is great. I'll go first What's popping for me is Dinah Washington's album, uh, Dinah 62, which is an album she put out in 1962. She just has a beautiful voice and Destination Moon is a fucking bop. And I, I've i been playing a ton of Fallout, Olivia. I haven't been able to shut up about Fallout for like eight months on this show. It's a problem.
2: Nobody's complaining. <laughs>
1: One of of my radio mods has like a bunch of Dinah Washington tracks and Destination Moon played it like just a perfect moment narratively for me. And so now it's just like one of my beautiful gaming memories and it's a great song. So folks at home, if you like good music, Dinah Washington, that's what's popping for me. Olivia, what's popping for you?
2: For music, I know Hozier is coming out with a new song and it's all over TikTok and I'm obsessed with it. It's like only maybe 50 seconds of his new song. And I already know I am going to get so dirty with it when I bring this <laughs> into the studio and start dancing to it. Um, and then also the song Bully. It's by like, I think it's J, J Beats or JF. JF, I don't know. It's by something along those lines. And it's just so good. It's my obsession right now. I want to play the get the game Stray. It just came out.
1: The cat that one? The
2: cat game. Yeah. I've heard really good things and I'm obsessed with just like the graphics. So I haven't played it. I guess I couldn't technically recommend it, but <laughs> I want to play it.
1: It's a perspective pop in, in the future.
2: Yeah. And then movie, the platform. Oh, is that the... <laughs> yes. I loved okay. it. I thought it was so good. It's a very Black Mirror type of vibe. Okay. Kind of gruesome, but like a society based horror. I don't know. <laughs>
1: we live it. in a society cinema.
2: Yes. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. So super good. Those are my recommendations.
1: Awesome. I wanted to ask you earlier, just because I love talking about books, what would you say if you were forced to pick a couple of like all time favorites?
2: Oh my God.
1: <laughs> I know that's an impossible question.
2: Uh, all time favorites
1: or just ones that are really really important to you.
2: Honestly, the Plant Hunter I told you about that like earlier and that one I think just shot straight up to like my top 10. It was just such a good story and also just like really wild information. There's a book called The Body: A Guide for Occupants. It's a pretty popular one. It's really good. It's basically just like about the human body, um but it's written in such a approachable way that like you don't really have to be somebody who like understands all these fancy terms and whatever like it's written in a very entertaining style oh ace by Angela Chen it's about asexuality and like changes or at least has you think about your perspective on like sexuality and like relationships it's really really cool
1: is it a more recent one
2: yeah yeah I think it was actually published two years ago so good. So good. And it's a pretty easy read as well. Awesome. Yeah. Those are my recommendations.
1: Do you have other book recommendations about like the Aero Ace Spectrum?
2: Just that one. And the only other, other one that I've read is The Invisible Orientation. It's a fantastic book. It's just, I think the way it's written, there's definitely an underlying feeling of like frustration from the author, which I get, like, I get it because I related to like all of the frustrations that she's pointing out. However, like, I think it just got to the point where instead of getting information and like perspective, it was definitely like had that tone of just like the author is just frustrated. Yeah. And while valid, totally valid, it, it did kind of make it a little harder for me personally to read. Okay. But what I did like is it has like asexual bingo in it. So uh, you can like, play, <laughs> you can be like, It'll be like, but you're too pretty to be ace, And you're like, okay, you just check. haven't gotten the you're right
1: like, person. <laughs>
2: yeah, check. Yeah. Both of those books are fantastic. But I, I do like to put that disclaimer because sometimes that kind of like deters people.
1: Yeah. Cool. Well, that was a very efficient what's poppin' that we just did. And now we will move on to our final segment, which is three parts gratitude exercise and one part petty grousing. And it's called Peaches and Lemons. And the theme song goes right here. incredible that was the theme song for peaches and lemons we will each start with a lemon and i will go first my lemon for today is that sadly the starbucks pistachio latte is out of season officially and that's my favorite drink that they've ever done and now starbucks is dead to me for the rest of the year until pumpkin spice lattes come back
2: oh well, i'm gonna have to try that i've never tried that
1: one i hope they bring it back it's so good I feel like I've mentioned it too many times on this show. (laughs) I only like the Starbucks holiday drinks. And then like, you know, they bring the pistachio one in after they do the Christmas drinks and I guess keep it until spring. But it's just a very like nutty, like brown butter kind of. It's nice. So that's my lemon. (laughs) What's your lemon?
2: My lemon. So I recently moved into a new home and it's like built in the early 60s. So it's old and all of the doors are like those hollow doors, like those ugly plywood. And Mm -hmm. if you look at my content, I am a heavily aesthetic based person. So they just, these doors, the walls, everything, it just insults me with their ugliness every (laughs) single day when I wake up in the mornings. So that's my lemon, but (laughs) slowly but surely is changing. However, it's a lemon.
1: (laughs) Congrats on being in a new place.
2: Thank you. I like it. I love it.
1: Do you have uh, a pole set up at home?
2: Oh, yeah. That was like one of the first things that I set up. That rules. This beautiful gold one too. Yeah.
1: Ooh. How do you set up a pole in a place so that it's like actually secure? I feel like I would be so afraid of just like ripping the thing out.
2: So there's different types, like there's different companies you can go through. And I am a full-fledged believer in X-Pole, which is the company that I love And it works like a curtain rod. So you just like crank it and tension is what keeps it up. There's silicone on both the bottom and the top. And it actually holds up a lot. And the only time I've ever had it come down accidentally was when I didn't install it correctly. And I had three people on it (laughs) on Spin. So on (laughs) Spin... The pole can either be static where it doesn't move or it can spin. It just depends. And so when you put it on the spin function, you have to keep in mind that like physics is still a thing. And so Mm -hmm. when you're putting your body away from the pole, it goes slower. But when you're putting your body closer to the pole, it goes a lot faster and it's so much harder to hold on. And Uh so I put three people on there and I was like, oh, this is fine. We totally were not under the influence. Don't whatever. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I mean, that's the real danger of having a pole at home, yeah. right? Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, it's funny because when people come over, even if it's like my partner's friends or anybody, and they're standing in our living room and they don't know that I'm like a pole dancer or whatever, usually they don't even ask. Like, they'll just gravitate towards it and just like start like walking <laughs> around it or like leaning on. You know, like they'll st- they yeah. like have to interact with it, and then like halfway through. It could take them like an hour or two. I don't know. They'll be standing there and they'll be like, so what is this for anyway? <laughs> <laughs> like people won't even notice. It's really funny that like, they, you know, people just like naturally want to like swing yeah. around a pole. So it's, it's awesome. But getting an actual good pole is the way to go. Don't buy the ones that are like a hundred bucks on Amazon or something. Cause it'll be a lot pricier when you have to have medical bills. So just yeah. bite the bullet and get a really quality, like good pull for your home if that's what you really want to do.
1: <laughs> it sounds like it's a real conversation piece.
2: <laughs> yeah, it is. Sorry. I didn't mean to like go totally into this whole tangent, but...
1: <laughs> no, I love it. So with a-, a spin pull can become a static pull? Like, is it mm-hmm. just sort of a thing you can press to make it static or...
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, like a pin. Some of them have pins that you can just drop and it'll lock it. Or some of them have buttons um, that like release the thing. And then mine, it's like a newer model and it's like a, kind of like a jar opener. I don't know. Like you like lift and twist it and it'll change the function, which is really cool. Yeah. When I tell people that it spins, it's like telling people that Santa Claus isn't real. It's really funny. They'll be like, it spins. You don't do that by yourself? And you're like, no, it's all an illusion. I'm sorry. I lied to you.
1: It is really funny. It took me like a super long time to realize that it does spin. I imagine that that seems like the most appealing part to it to me. I just want to spin around.
2: Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It feels like flying.
1: Have you done aerial stuff?
2: Yeah. Like silks and stuff. And mm-hmm. yeah, I've done silks and pole are actually fairly similar. Like a lot of the body movements and the muscles that you use. So it's easier to go from one to the other, I think. Oh, okay. But I just like being in the air, despite the fact that I'm afraid of heights. That doesn't make any sense, <laughs> but.
1: <laughs> well, at least like you have something to hold on to if you're higher up.
2: Yeah. I think it's actually like helped my fear of heights. Cause at least I know I can like fully hold my body weight up just in case, you know?
1: Yeah. Um. Yeah. Great. So we both did lemons and now we will each do three peaches, which are nice, lovely things. And I'll go. My first peach is that I'm going to go see Aaron and Susie tonight. I was staying with them for a couple of weeks after I got out of treatment and Aaron's been out of town and now he's back and we're going to go hang out. And, you know, it's my social interaction for the week, aside from recording. (laughs) My second peach is that I saw one of our other friends. And as people might know from him having been on the show, but I got a little bobo with our friend Alex Gross, and it was lovely. That was my other social interaction this week. And uh, my third peach is that I got a really sweet email from somebody about one of my GDC talks I did years and years and years ago. And that's always really lovely. I'm glad that people got something out of it. So those are my three peaches. What are your peaches? That's
2: good. You seem like a social introvert like I am. (laughs) Yeah. Like I love people, but like I don't have a battery.
1: Yeah, I can fake being an extrovert for very small periods of time. But
2: Mm -hmm. the rest of the
1: time, I'm in my hole. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, Let's see. My three peaches. I'm excited because spring is coming. So that means now that I moved into a new place, I have a front yard and a backyard too completely destroy with native plants and pollinator plants and whatnot and attract all of the insects and creepy things put up a bat house or something and (sighs) (laughs) yeah my second peach is my partner because living with me is not an easy thing and I am fully aware because I'm neurotic and um he just lets me exist the way I exist and uh I just really appreciate the fact that I could be like, look at all these sticks. And I also found like a half of a rabbit. Like, isn't that neat? And he's like, <laughs> that's beautiful, Olivia. I'm like, thank you. He's <laughs> just like, okay, like whatever. And my third peach is my careers. I just love what I do. And I'm just like really grateful every day that I get to do it and meet people like you. You know, wow. all, all goes Yeah.
1: Yeah. Doing this podcast as... You said, as just like a reluctant extrovert, (laughs) it's great to just have like an outlet to hang out with people, especially when, you know, with depression, I get a tendency to isolate pretty hard. But, you know, being able to do this leads me to have nice, chill little days like this. But, Olivia, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm sorry that this episode got so fucky. Ryan having to leave and everything. You're a trooper. You're totally
2: fine. It happens. It's totally good.
1: <laughs> um, if people want to check out your pole dancing videos, your cult videos, everything else, where can they find you?
2: You can find me on Instagram and YouTube as the Witch of Wonderlust. Uh, it's Wonderlust with an O, because I think the correct way to spell it is an A, but psh, I'm a rebel. <laughs> and then I'm also on TikTok, but that's shit posting. So that's up to you if you want to be exposed to that.
1: This audience is, you know, accustomed to a shit post energy. And do you have a Patreon?
2: I do have a Patreon. Yeah. That's, that's mainly um, like weekly readings. So I do like tarot readings or some kind of divinations and then like extra vlogs and little extra content, things like that.
1: Awesome. Well, folks, you should go check all of that out. Thank you for joining us for yet another wonderful episode of Late Night with Brian Wecht. I never know how to end this show. Olivia, do you have any good (laughs) affirmations that you like, that you would like to give to our audience?
2: My sign off for most of my things is thanks so much for coming in and may your gods treat you as you've treated others. And then I just, I smack the camera like that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Great. Let's both do it then. All right. Okay. Perfect. (laughs) Bye everybody.
0: Leighton Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Knight, on Instagram at Leighton underscore Night, or email us at Night at gmail.com.